Hello, and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-acronym roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Monica. How's it going, guys? Yeah, you know, it's going pretty good. <laughs> I'm having a better day than is. I was going to make that joke, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, box office update. I'm still in last place. I've got zero dollars. Better zero dollars than like waste one of your movie picks on Morbius. I mean, I have movies that have scratched, so Morbius will make more money than they did. But oh my god, this is tanking in the box office. <laughs> uh, you can declare me the winner of March now because this is as high as I'm ever going to be. I think. I, I I don't know. I mean, I've got nothing notable. Like most of my brackets dead as far as the box office game goes. I'm not feeling good this year, but I think I'll I, it will be interesting. I've got Sonic 2 coming. That's going to be make some money, right? It's and, make, and yeah. Ambulance with Michael Bay. I'm looking forward to Ambulance. I actually <laughs> really want to see Ambulance. I'm not being I know that like you might think from previous years when I cared about the box office game, you'd be like, oh, Hannah, you're taunting math. No, it's got a decent Rotten Tomato score right now. I'm not taunting Mav. <laughs> I think I'm like, looking forward to Ambulance, but I'm also looking forward to Morbius, but for different reasons. I I really want to see Morbius now. <laughs> like, I didn't care about Morbius at all when we first talked about Morbius two plus years ago. And we were like, why? Who would make? Why would anyone do this? Why would anyone make this film? No one nope. in the world of comics, no one who's a super, no one nope. is asking for a Morbius fan film, I guess, except for Jared Leto. But it's apparently, even worse than I, it's apparently worse than I even dreamed from what I hear. So I want to so see I, it now. Now I'm more into it than ever. <laughs> Speaking of uh, not winning the box office game, though, Mav, uh, did you win our Oscars bracket? Uh, I believe I did. I, I know I beat Monica. I don't know if I beat him. Let me look. Monica got eight. It looks like Sam got 14. I know that I got 17. I know that. Not best picture. Don't we all? Not best picture. I missed. Monica did get best picture. Yes, you did get best picture, right? I did not call the fight. That was not one of the ones that I was. (laughs) But but that has consumed much of my life since then for people who are fans of pop culture. But that's not what we're talking about today. No, we're talking about what's consumed my life for the past week. (laughs) What's consumed your life for the past week, Hannah? Bridgerton. It's back. And I still love it more than most things. Um, I took the day off work and I binged it. And it was a very good decision. I love that you used it. You used it. I mean, did you have it circled on your calendar? It's like vacation day, but just Bridgerton day. Was it like a spot like, on the calendar of Bridgerton day? Yeah. yeah. Like 100%. I, I picked this day on purpose. Like we're allowed to take mental health days where I work. I both needed a mental health day and also Bridgerton was coming out. And so there you go. I, I, I 8.30 a.m. Fired up Bridgerton. 5.30 p.m. Finished. Because, you know, you got to take a little bit of a break. But it was basically a work day. Eight, eight-ish <laughs> hours of content. It was a great use of my time. I regret nothing. And then I rewatched it over the course of the next three days because Josh went to work like an adult. We should have our guest because we've got giggling yeah. in the back that's not us. I want to ha- welcome back to the show, Nicole Frame. Uh, Nicole, welcome back. You've been on all of our Bridgerton shows. So welcome back for Bridgerton again. Yes, I have. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Did you also take the day off to watch Bridgerton? <laughs> Well, no, but it was actually uh, my spring break last week. So you were off anyway. So one might say that I watched it instead of uh, being responsible and prepping my spring syllabi, which (laughs) might have 
played into why I wasn't as prepared for when classes started on Monday. You know, I mean, that's all theoretical. I didn't take the day off. I watched it over two or three days. And Monica, you also watched it over. Uh, I like to make things last. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't actually have the personality type for binging. I need to watch (laughs) one episode at a time. So I gave myself, I think, a full eight days. Maybe wow. I pushed it to two episodes some days to be able to record in time. But mm-hmm. yeah. I, I like to spread things out. I like slow burn of not knowing what's going to happen next. Well, then you must have loved this season because it was slow burn in all the ways. <laughs> okay, so I guess we're going to jump in. Was this the kind of show to be watched Monica's way or was it to kind of watch Shannon's way? Because I watched it over two days, but I mean, by two days, it was pretty much two sittings. I watched like, you know, four hours and then I watched four hours again later. Right. Like I didn't watch it the first night. I I waited till the weekend and then I did watch it in like two four hour chunks, I think. So I don't it didn't feel paced like a TV show to me. It felt paced like it was an eight hour movie to me to where I, I didn't feel like there were meaningful, logical episode breaks the way that I might. I mean, I know that there were some, but. It didn't feel like a Mandalorian. It felt like uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where it was just like, oh, this is an arbitrary, awkward place to stop. But I guess this is the end of the show now. <laughs> like, that's how I felt about it. So how did you guys feel about it? I didn't feel like the endings were necessarily awkward. But like the thing for me is that I don't handle angst very well if it's spread out over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Like there were a couple of episodes last season of Ted Lasso to give another fiction example without any spoilers. Where it ends on some like emotional cliffhangers, and I did not like having to wait for the next week's episode. <laughs> like it upset me, and I angsted over the characters. And I'm glad I got to binge this because, like, I think I appreciated what they were doing more by having the opportunity for like mm-hmm. emotional resolution in front of me right at that moment. And I would have been so mad if I would have had to wait like another week for episode seven after watching episode six, for example, because like mm-hmm. it got rough a little bit in the middle there for me. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Nicole? Well, I actually, I probably spread it out over a couple of days also. I don't remember exactly. I, I don't know. I It's just a strange thing that it was like we moved past the, you have to wait a week to find out what happens. Now you can just binge stuff. But now you have things like Disney Plus going back to you get one. Right. And you'll right. another one later. So it's, it, that's sort of a weird shift, which is kind of off point. But I don't know. I, I mean, think I'm probably biased because I've read the books. So right. you've read all of them, right? So you know correct. how everything goes in the series. You know. Right. Same. Okay. Oh, okay. You have to? I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if yeah. you finished yeah. them all. I finally finished them all. Okay. And, and so. I was sort of, I, I watched the first couple and then I think maybe I, the next day I started watching like a few more, but then it was like, okay, wait a minute. What the hell are they doing? And I just wanted to like get seen, get through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so it started out with, you know, watching a couple and then, you know, I'll watch more tomorrow. And then I was sort of like, wait a minute, what are you, what the, okay. I just need to know what's going on. <laughs> hmm. I think there is a sense for me, and this is coming from someone who's worked in production of maybe the reason that I don't love binge watching, especially on a show like Bridgerton, where like it is such a visual spectacle, like it is defined by its visual excess. And it would be like 
sitting in a room full of wedding cakes, not thinking about like the fact that every all of them had to be frosted. Like, I mean, it, for me, and especially you get the fact that you working, get that you're weird because you're like I imagine most people don't think about that. I understand what you mean, but, right. I'm, but for you get that you're the weird one. Worked in costuming yeah. and who knows that Bridgerton especially does a lot of custom production that other films aren't given the budget to be able to do. Like, I just want us to sit and stop and appreciate the amount mm-hmm. of work that goes into creating such an elaborate fantasy world that I feel like even on other period shows is not replicated because most of them are not given that same level of budget. And this is also me coming from someone yes. who, like, if the listeners haven't heard me talk about the fact that I worked on Inventing Anna in the costume department mm-hmm. yet, which was another Shondaland series. Like a large majority of the budget of Shondaland goes to costumes. Shonda mm-hmm. Rhymes cares about costumes. And on a period show, she cares even more about costumes than she did on Inventing Anna. And it just feels like we are losing the thing that just makes it special if we sit and watch it all at once. I By going too fast. Yeah. Look, this I is what the second never, and the third yeah. and the fourth rewatch is for. That's true. <laughs> I don't rewatch things ever. This is another thing that we've talked about is that I am not a repeat consumer of anything because there's so much media in the world that mm-hmm. I feel like ah. I want to be able to experience as much of it as possible. So I don't sit and have one mm-hmm. time because I know that I'm basically, it's the same thing as food. Like I'm only going to eat that one food once. Like, because even if I go to a restaurant and I order the same thing, it might not be the same chef. It's never going to be exactly the same. So there is just this sense for me that like, I I want us to pay attention more. This was one in which I found myself getting lost. Like, Mm -hmm. I appreciate hair and makeup, but I don't work in hair and makeup. I work in costuming. I spent all of Bridgerton being like, everyone's skin is so perfect. (laughs) And I was watching it on my laptop. Like, I'm not watching it blown up on a big screen. There is just this appreciation for, like, every little detail. You watched it on your laptop. You're giving us a lecture about details. I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My point is maybe that, like, on on a show like this, where, like, there's so often, like, production moves so fast. There's so many elements that even as the person who's producing it, a lot of times the detail does get lost. Like Makeup mm-hmm. is being retouched for 12 hours and human skin doesn't normally wear makeup for 12 hours unless you got drunk and fell asleep in it and then woke up in it the next morning and then it definitely doesn't still look that good. Like, there's something Just as a for instance. That was, that was very yeah. specific, Monica. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but ladies get it. But ladies get it. Mav um, gets it. Mav's <laughs> wondering. Mav has worn makeup and fallen asleep drunk. I'm not surprised. This is a show that somehow manages to create an illusion of perfection that Mm -hmm. I feel like is unparalleled. And that is really important, I think. And can I just say that we finished Gilded Age the Monday Bridgerton came out, and by we, I mean me and Josh. And the entire time... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wasn't sure when you were finishing, but I, I couldn't, you know, like Monica, you and I have talked about this in group chat, but I don't think we've said on the air, like I, I've felt the entire time watching Gilded Age that it's just deeply empty. Like it, they're, they're just something feels off to me about the sets on the show, some of the costumes. And that's um, the crazy part is that a lot of the costumes for Gilded Age 
Like there is copies of garments that exist in museums. Like, yeah. Hold on, they, hold on a second. What what is Gilded Age? He asked for the benefit of the audience. <laughs> yes, uh, Gilded Age is. I, I can I say it's perhaps one of the most boring things I've ever been riveted by in my entire life. I just not an answer. It is Tiny Gossip Girl, but if Gossip Girl were boring, and Julian <laughs> Fellows wrote it, you might recognize the name Julian Fellows for his actual show that people are interested in, Downton Abbey, and. And he has for years like tried to get Gilded Age, which is about the 19th century in New York and like the upper lives, which so Gossip Girl. Um, Yeah, and like like NBC originally had it and then it was in development hell for many years and then HBO was like, all right, let's do a period piece. And like for all the money they pour into it, it just it's just empty and I don't know how else to explain it. The most interesting thing about the show is there's a character named Mr. Rakes and the entire time I've been yelling at the TV. Don't date him. His name is literally Rake. The Julian Fellows. Julian Fellows is hard. It's just a 19th century novelist, and he just really wants to be a conservative 19th century novelist who moralizes about things, but he does it on TV and sometimes film. But anyway, point is that like all this care has gone into Gilded Age, and yet just watching it next to Bridgerton, I was just like, this is like you know, like two totally different worlds, and of course it's two totally different worlds because Bridgerton like is its you know own fantasy. But my goodness, it's just I I don't know why I sat there and watched like eight hours of Gilded Age. I mean, over <sighs> like once a week. That show you cannot binge. I don't think anyone has the desire to binge Gilded Age. To be honest, mm. not even Christine Baranski could save Gilded Age. That's just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds Christine like... Baranski could save anything else. Like, oh. Sounds kind of like when we got the Dwayne Johnson uh, Hercules. At the same time, we got the Kellen Lutz Hercules. And I'm one of the few people who remembers that both of them came out the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm not really sure if I should take from that whole thing that I want to try and watch Gilded Age or or if I don't. Very confused. (laughs) It's an endurance challenge maybe <laughs> a phrase that i would like to use but hannah's right that like there is that same level of care and detail and there is even something about like the cast list like kind of looks like it's the same amount of people because it's still like an ensemble that is following multiple families it almost just like it physically looks even emptier than bridgerton does which is very strange because these are both Time periods that we are choosing to be fascinated by sort of because of their excesses. And especially like Gilded Age, the whole thing is like, these are rich people who are then choosing to model their architecture and interior design off of like French. And (laughs) and yet it just feels like, yes, they're two vastly different periods and they're different artists and they're different production designers and they're different showrunners. But everything about watching Gilded Age feels like a set that's set up on a, a theater stage rather than a sound yes. stage. And it feels like it's filmed during the era of COVID in which no one is allowed to touch each other. Like, <laughs> whereas everything no, hold on. like... But, but isn't it like still a, it's still a steamy romance? No. Like, oh, there's one new scene. Like, I, unless I'm forgetting something, which to be fair, I could be, because again, painfully <laughs> so boring. <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I mean, is it supposed to be a steamy romance or no? Uh, 
on well it's on hbo so there's one scene in which okay. a woman is very naked because i think they remembered they were supposed to be on hbo max <laughs> oh yeah okay. and, and they were like we can do this i guess so and, you're saying they're you're saying boob appears in, in for you know for contractual obligation reasons why are you here naked with your boobs out i don't want you here <laughs> the, the one moment that we had for this to be hbo as we know hbo to be was not we have wow. to remember that for context downton abbey's pilot someone dies during sex like for all of the amount that downton abbey tries to be like proper and chaste and feel very quintessentially british there was at least a meager attempt in the pilot episode to be like hey it's gonna be spicy and then it didn't deliver over time but the problem mm. with gilded age is it never promises or delivers anything it's i i can't even call the main relationship of the season a relationship it's a break yes and also because like for the first like couple episodes he follows her around and she's like i don't want you goodbye and then it seems like he harasses her into a relationship and then it's like but why though marion use a brain thought please i beg you use a brain thought and then well it goes downhill because he's named rake literally named rake i just want to emphasize that whereas anthony in bridgerton is a capital r rake but also not this season exactly because there was a lot going on with the eyes but not so much the but you know like i, I honestly don't care that there wasn't as much sex this season as there was last season although i did like text uh -huh. a lot of people that there were fewer butts uh because i was looking for them i guess <laughs> even though i didn't really care it did not affect my enjoyment okay was well that's a good question wait could you so you liked i know hannah liked a lot you know again yeah for the listeners, we've got our group chat. So like I, Hannah is, well, you didn't want to ruin it for us. So like, I wouldn't say you were like, you know, live chatting it at us because you were watching it much earlier than Monica or I were. Oh, but, I live chatted it to Josh. Okay. Uh, I bet you don't want to hear my text message because I just, I, he was at work. So I just sent him a wall of like, not spoilerly texts. Okay. Um, so, but yes, I did I, not like it as much. I didn't hate it. I'm not saying it's a negative. I am all in on the show already. So I enjoyed the first season enough that it made me invested in this season. If this were the first season, if this were my first experience with it, I don't think the show would have me. I don't think I'd come back for season three. I think I enjoyed it enough on the goodwill of season one to where the things that I liked about season two certainly aren't going to make me drop the show. I'll be back for three. But it was, there were rough parts for me. And part of it, it's not so much the sex, so much as the sexiness. Like, I, I, Anthony is not hot Duke. <laughs> so he's not and I, like I, I understand it's a different kind of relationship and it's not just that i it's not just seeing them naked all the time like it, it really isn't it's that the writers the performers the actors the music everything about that first season made me hate anthony the way that i was supposed to the way that the narrative wants me to and jonathan Correct. bailey's actor is the actor's name and even we talked about this on the show the mm -hmm. negative things about simon about hot duke raise john page as the actor the negative things about him page's charisma comes through and sells yep. me on the bits where even when he's abusive i'm like okay i want this to be okay daphne yeah. the same way like i found we talked for a long time about the you know is it or is it not daphne yeah. raping simon issue right like, yeah. like yes. so 
and I don't want to relitigate that, but I'm saying even in the negative, the most negative parts about that, their charisma and the storyline made me want it to work out and made me invested in me going, I want to see how this gets fixed. The reason I wanted things to work out for for Kate and Anthony has more to do with me liking the show than it does with me liking them. Like Anthony does not have hot Duke energy to make me want to root for him. And I felt like a lot of the heavy lifting was done by characters that I like better than him. Like Daphne shows up just to remind me to not hate Anthony. And, I, and that's like kind of a cop. So that was how I felt about it. Like Daphne doesn't belong in this year's story. She's just there because I remember her from last season, right? And and it's useful, I guess, because it needed that goodwill for me. She's in the book. Um, I, I don't mean. Yeah, I don't mean that. I yeah. mean, I mean, I, not. That, I don't mean season. I mean literally the season of television. I mean, like she's not as useful to the narrative as well, yeah. She's just yeah. there. Yeah. Is yeah. Well, she, it's a family show. I yeah. Right. 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 She's coloring for the world, but I felt like she was being asked to do a lot of the heavy lifting to make me care about him. Like there's a lot of her giving little looks like, oh, he's actually in love with Kate and I must fix this. And then she doesn't. And it's it was there was a lot of putzing around where I'm just like, oh, can I see Benedict? Can I see Eloise? Yes. OK, let's here's a story I can get behind. There was a lot of me not liking the main story is what I'm getting at. Counterpoint, though, I didn't like Anthony last season at all. And I believe I don't remember life is weird. I don't remember if I'd read the second book by then or not, but I was like, how will the show make us like Anthony? Because that seems like a lot. But you know, the acting, the chemistry between Simone Ashley and Jonathan Bailey really sold it for me. Hmm. Uh, episode three, I've watched it multiple times now. I can't watch it without ugly crying. Same for episode eight. I'm also an older child and I have big older child syndrome. So like watching the two you know, characters, Kate and Anthony, mm-hmm. like like be their older siblings. I'm like, oh yeah, I get. Yeah, like, a- Anthony's like was overblown in season one, but I really feel like it. It were like they made it work. Like I appreciate what I appreciate about like. I mean, there's still like sex eventually in Bridgerton because it's Bridgerton. Come on, but what I appreciate about like the lack of sex scenes is that like honestly, it didn't fit the story they were telling for them to sure. have sex until they did. And I appreciated that like they're making each story unique and using sex to further tell the story Mm -hmm. and develop relationships between characters. So like, I know that's not, I know you're not one of the critics who are throwing a fit because you didn't. Yeah, because I didn't get to check off. Right. Yeah, you're right. Sure. But like, there's like a whole little like group of critics who are very mad because they didn't get to see butts. And I'm like, that's (laughs) not what this show was to begin with. Like, it was kind of was. But it it was about more than that, though. It wasn't about just like, like the sex was telling a story. Yes. Yeah. But I I would compare that and I'm in let me finish it because I know you're going to have a visceral reaction. I would compare it to the way sex was used in Game of Thrones in a very specific way. See, there's Hannah's visceral reaction because the sex in Game of Thrones was never just about the sex. Like there were, it might've been used in ways that you liked or didn't like it, but there was a storyline purpose to it. But a lot of its Game of Thrones viewers were really turning on for the sex. So when all of a sudden Daenerys stops getting naked, people are pissed, even though there were storyline reasons for it to happen. And like the viewers didn't get that. I understand why Anthony and Kate don't phone in episode two, right? Like I get it. Like it, it would have been wrong, but I also understand that what sold this show originally, and we talked about this last season, right? Like this is a show that managed to get a crosser over audience. It was a period romance on television 
that dudes were watching going, oh, my God, you know, and then all of a sudden this season was a different show. I'm not saying it was a bad show. I'm saying they felt cheated because, you know, where are the boobies? And that's a fair that's a fair criticism. It's not mm. the one I care about, but I do think it's fair. I do think it's a change. Okay. I think well, the first season really sort of did Anthony dirty. I mean, How so? compa- well, compared to the book, he's not that mm-hmm. much of an asshole in the book. He's yeah. a villain in the first season. He is. He feels like a villain. Not that he does anything deplorable, but he feel he does feel like, like a villain. Whole, I'm just going to arbitrarily arrange this wedding for my sister, and because that's my job, and you're going to do it. That there was none of that, right? So yeah, I, I feel like they it's like like you were saying that for some people it was sort of like Anthony. He's an asshole. Why do we care about him? Yeah. And I think that did right. have kind of an effect on how people mm-hmm. looked at this season. And then, uh-huh. I, I don't know. Well, I have many opinions about what it did versus the source material. But I don't know if yeah. we're getting into that yet. So I, I mean, I think we should get into it at some mm-hmm. point, for sure. But um, I don't know. I thought the chemistry was decent. You're right. It wasn't the same as Reggie Jean Page, <laughs> that he was... He's just hotter than Anthony. Sorry, Jonathan Bailey. You're still in a, you, you know, you're still a nice yeah, looking guy, not- but you know. Mm. <laughs> No. Well, but it's not just that. Like, it could have been sexy without showing sex. It could have been. It wasn't about them being hot. It wasn't about seeing anything. Loki, the TV series Loki, right? We certainly don't see either of them naked. We don't see it. But there was sexual chemistry there to where even though um, Loki and Sylvie are both like arguably evil characters, right? Like they they have complex worlds to where I feel like I want them to get together. I like the actor. Bailey is um, the actor who plays Anthony. I like the actor. I like the actor who plays Kate. What's her name? Simone Ashley. Okay. I like them both. I thought they were good at their parts and I don't need to like the character. They did not seem charming enough to where I cared about them. And there's a difference, right? Like, so I'm like, when I'm watching Breaking Bad, I don't like Walter White, but I care about Walter White. I want to see what happens to him. My least favorite part of this season was anytime Anthony was on screen. And that's a problem that's part. It's not the actor. It's so much as the, it's the whole, the story mm-hmm. gave him, right? Like it's not his fault. It's a lot of the first season and you needed to give some reason to redeem him. Like, okay, as silly as it is that first season, you go, Simon's such an asshole. Simon's such an asshole. Simon's like, oh, but he used to stutter. Well, that's bad. And I mean, it's a trick, right? But it's a reason for me to care about him. It's a reason for me to, oh, his father was abusive. Oh, is it like, there's a lot of it there. And I think that I was supposed to feel like, oh, Anthony was traumatized by his dad dying and it didn't work. Like it, it, it didn't hit the way that I think it was supposed to. And comparing it for Kate, because she's also traumatized by her dad's death and having to take over and be a parent because her stepmom couldn't like I get what they're going for. It didn't work for me. And the part that I like them best was on the very last episode. Once they're together, you know, spoilers for everybody, but like it, it's a romance, a happy, it's it's a romance is a happy yeah. ending. Right. So once they're together and they're just making out during the croquet game, that's so cute. It worked like they're the same two characters. It feels hotter and sexier, not because they're having sex, but because there's chemistry that makes me care about them. And the only other time that I really felt before that was when they were having their what I thought was the better meet cute moment than their actual meet cute, which was when they were refusing to give up on the earlier croquet game and they were all traipsing through the mud and everything like that's where I'm like, okay, now you've got something in common to where I can be invested in your relationship, whether I like you or not. And I was invested for once. I wanted to see I wanted to 
to see them be- better each other. I wanted to see if they were going to fall over. I wanted to see how bad it was going to get in a way that I didn't feel most of the thing. Like when he's like, oh, he's going to marry the sister. I'm like, oh, so what? You know, you don't deserve to be happy. <laughs> like that's how I felt in the entire time. And it's not, well, and that's not good, us, right? Some of us disagree with you. And no, I'm sure. Monica like- hasn't said yet. I'm curious where she's at too. Oh, I, so I will say that for me, the strength of the season uh, is the rest of the family, which isn't great. Yeah. When, but like when the majority of your screen time is supposed to be about other characters. But like, mm-hmm. I would say that as much as I hate movies that seem like they're just sequels uh, for whatever the next movie is that you're going to go see in theaters. Like this was one where this actually worked for me because I felt like I got a lot of character development out of Eloise and out of uh, Penelope mm-hmm. and out of mm-hmm. Benedict uh, was great. Yeah, and out of Benedict <laughs> yeah. and out of Colin that honestly made me very excited for the prospect mm-hmm. of a season three. So I kind of wish that we season two had gone a little faster in order to get there. Yeah, because I, I spent the first maybe two, three episodes feeling a bit like I was watching just what was more of the same. And as much as I appreciate world building, there was almost too much of it in a sense of like, because we already know how season works because we've already Mm -hmm. watched season worth of season. Right. And it it felt like, oh, we're going to another party. Like, oh, we're like doing another match. We're picking another diamond. And I understand the need for the repetition. It just felt like almost wasn't enough plot or story to actually sustain eight episodes in a way and for mm-hmm. me even when you add in the idea of like uh, the sequel and the the flashback and that i maybe the reason that doesn't work is because now we have benadryl for bee stings that like it doesn't feel <laughs> as traumatizing as it's supposed to for everybody else or i i don't know so i sit on the fence of being really excited for another season, not because I liked this one. Here's where I think the deviation from the book, mm-hmm. in some ways, I think did not help. Because in the book, I mean, okay, spoilers, right? Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't get to the point of, of Anthony marrying Edwina. When when it gets sung by the bee, Anthony panics. Mm-hmm. Just like he did, except he starts trying to suck out the venom. Okay. They get seen. He had his mouth. By Lady he had her his mouth on on her, you know, above her breast. And right. so sure. they get basically forced to marry. So the second part of the But that's too close yeah, to Simon and Daphne. The second half of the okay. book is them yeah. sort of struggling against how do we deal with each other? Because it gets told, everyone gets told it's a love match to excuse the haste. But Anthony's sort of fighting because he doesn't want to fall in love with his wife because he's afraid of dying and leaving her alone. And Kate has her own issues that she's trying to wrestle with. And I don't know. I feel like that I understand it's too close to Simon and mm-hmm. Death. But at the same time, this whole thing about Edwina, I kept watching this season. And they would use things and I'd be like, wait a minute, if you use that now, you're not going to be able to use it in the book that it was actually used in. For example, yes. and I don't think this is no like really nothing that gives much away. Eloise mm-hmm. in book five, which is Eloise's book, it's revealed that Eloise mm-hmm. is a naturally perfect Marx woman. And 
None of her brothers like okay. to have shooting competitions with her because she always wins because she's just that good. Okay. She can shoot a gun. But now we've had, oh, hey, Kate can shoot and Kate goes hunting and she wants to go hunting with the men. And so now are we going to use the gun thing again? in A different book? Well, so, yeah. And OK, so here's my question. Because I have a question about that. And, I, and it's a and I've read I've read one book. I've only read mm-hmm. the first book. Monica, have you read any of them? I have not read any of the books. OK. And Nicole and Hannah have both read all of them. I've only and read, I've read one. all the prequels. Mm-hmm. OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So I know enough to know like season one. And we've talked about this on our show. There were things mixed in. Right. Like the, the entire pl- subplot of Penelope is secretly Lady Whistledown. That doesn't come up till book four. three or four or something. Four. Four. Okay. So we've revealed that three seasons earlier than we should have, right? Okay. So, and that gives a different mm-hmm. pacing. It, it creates different things. So, so I'm okay I'm, I'm with not, that. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, because the question is, they did that, but, but there's no, as far as I know, there's no book that is. Penelope's yep. book. There's book. books where she there, might be more of a Penelope character. Book. Nope, there's there is Penelope book. Technically, it's another it's, Bridgerton's book. That's like, what I thought. The main hero. Like, there's always yeah. two people per book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. there's one Bridgerton and then one love interest. And one other person. Yes. And they're equally divided in time. So, like, if okay. you spoiler alert, but probably not really. Mm-hmm. If you look at the new covers, which is a whole other issue, but if you look at the new covers that have been like rebranded mm-hmm. recently, mm-hmm. in book four, it doesn't say just Colin's story; it says Colin and Penelope's story. Kind of what I was getting at, because I don't officially know who's going to pair with who, because I've only read the first book. But my assumption is that the storyline is building towards in both this season and last season. You know, we want to tell a story about. Colin mm-hmm. and Penelope. And even though, like Nicole, you said, you know, here are the deviations from the book. Would it have worked better if they would have deviated and they just said, you know what? There's not going to be eight seasons. The first season was Daphne's yeah. story, but season two is just going to be Anthony and Colin. Or season think, two is going to be Anthony and Elton. I don't know if they're going to actually, I mean, they keep saying they want to do eight seasons, but I don't know. Like, okay, books five, six, and no, books four, five, and six basically take place like around the same time. Mm-hmm. Book two has a two year time jump, like after like the first third. How they play with time will be very interesting when adapting. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I, 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 you know, I honestly, I'll, you know, we can talk about season two some more. I didn't mind the changes in season two. And one of the major changes I liked, by the way, which I felt was also like an answer to last season and consent was like at the end of season, at the end of episode seven, Anthony and Kate, you know, are having sex for the first time. And he's like, I can stop. And she's like, no, don't you dare stop. And like, sure. she says, like, mm-hmm. they say that twice. I think that there's a real consent issue in Julia Quinn's novels. Like, it's not the same as the Duke and I, but like, there's a lot of like power dynamics that are weird and a lot of like men being very like sexually aggressive and like a lot of sort of baby it's cold outside vibes. Mm-hmm. Which is a romance novel trope. Yeah. Oh, like, uh, so I, I appreciated like this change. I also like appreciated like the emphasis on like sisterhood and like Edwina becoming more of a character, but that's, that's not, but to circle back around to the book versus TV show question, I honestly hope they change. They're going to have to change more and deal with more stuff because like, I think we talked about this last time we talked about Bridgerton. Lady Whistledown is never as mean in the books yep. as she is in the show. And honestly, the probably the person she's missed to is yep. herself, Penelope. And I want to remind everyone that Penelope threw Marina under the bus, basically pushed her to like attempt an abortion. She almost died. Like, I hope to God they change Marina's storyline because Marina is 
sort of in the books and i don't want the same ending for her Mm -hmm. i think that it would play like i don't think there's a world Mm -hmm. where they can write the same ending for her and it be good i just don't i think that like she know you know like after everything like penelope's done this season and last season they're going to have her like deal with like a lot more i would like to see her you know like attempt to not only like apologize because you know at this point she's like refused to accept any responsibility for her actions despite like every other character accepting responsibility for their actions too by the way like will and kate and everybody else. But like, you know, to actually like make some form of restitution. Like, I feel like she has to for us to cheer for her to have a happy ending. I don't know if I can get on board with Penelope and Colin in the same way that I could easily in the books when, you know, she's just making fun of herself for wearing like yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would hope that like this creative team understands what they're doing and well, doesn't let that go. But Yeah, I don't know if they'll necessarily yeah. get to all of the books. You're right. They may not. But you're right. This is since they've had Lady Whistledown be so much meaner, they, they are going to have to deal with that. And I am all for, hey, if you want to try something different, you know, I'll go for it. I'm not, it just, I'm not like, I'm just mad because it wasn't like my book. But at the same time, okay, title of book eight is called On the Way to the Wedding. And the whole climax mm-hmm. of that whole thing, I mean, it's about a guy who's in love with somebody and you're trying to stop a wedding and is the wedding going to, and, and and so now I feel like, okay, they can't do that again. Right. And so yeah. mm-hmm. it feels, I I'm, don't know that they needed to do that in order mm-hmm. to make the season work, but you know, I, I don't know. To me, it felt, I, I guess I oh. like Edwina in the book better because Edwina wasn't an idiot about the fact that he was in love with her sister. <laughs> Okay, so there was a, yeah, so, and did lampshading that work? Because there's a point where, you know, where they're doing the eyes there, and she says, blind? was mm-hmm. I really this blind? And yeah. it's like, yes, you were. It was really obvious. It was really painfully obvious. So it was weird that you wanted to marry him anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, so, I mean, that it was things like that kind of took me out of it. And that's why I'm wondering if I would have been more okay with it if they, like, real talk, they're not going to get eight seasons. Nothing on Netflix gets eight seasons because of the way, well, because of the way Netflix is, because of the way Netflix's pay structure versus production schedule works, it's really hard to go that long because Netflix you know like you need to be able to bring continuous new people in and you don't have commercial viewership so it's just it's not a financially viable decision which is why almost all netflix shows get three or four seasons that's like there's a business reason for it yeah but this is so bigger than stranger things and stranger things is getting five seasons so they they could theoretically get you know we're not sure if it's bigger if it's bigger or not that's that's what i mean like like i it would have to be because stranger things is getting five and that's crazy for netflix so is like Bridget- it you know Bridgerton, Bridgerton is like the most popular like I think English language show on Netflix. So it was for season one. Can and, they- season, and season two is on pace. Well, I guess right. we like don't but, know yet. But, but, but yeah. we only know for that's that's what I mean. We only know for one week, right? It needs to maintain that for in order to because Stranger Things wasn't renewed for the fifth season until fourth one was in production. So like they had three solid seasons and their numbers were up until Bridgerton. Stranger Things was a higher rated show on Netflix than anything they'd ever had. Anything. All the Marvel shows, nothing came close. Now it's been beat by Squid Game. But like that was a surprise, right? So Bridgerton's there, but it's got to maintain it. And even then we're talking about getting to a season five. Eight years is a lot. Yeah. Anecdotally, I know people who skipped season one who have come around, started like 
totally skipped season one like did mm-hmm. not watch it all started watching season two and are now on board because like mm-hmm. they didn't want to deal with the consent but my point my, yeah, my real yeah, point yeah. though is if yeah, you're gonna do that maybe you just combine like you can do the whole why not do the eight book storyline in four seasons I mean, so like, that you know I, you get it all I, in i mean i think that five four five six theoretically you think that's gonna happen yeah could very well be combined like and i also like do wonder if we're talking about book versus show like if, if some of the characters like like eloise specifically have so deviated mm-hmm. from like who they i mean like her book takes place after like 10 years on the marriage mart so you know she can grow to be whoever she wants but like eloise is so different than who she is in the books in my opinion that's okay. like is it how they're gonna make this work especially with the other things i know that i won't spoil for everyone else i want to throw in the idea that like i mean the more we use up stuff that sounds like or from some books that are already kind of problematic and repetitive, yeah. the more we throw in the opportunity to give right. new, better things to the narrative. Like, mm-hmm. I sat through this season really frustrated that, like, everything is still a heterosexual, like, heteronormative relationship in mm-hmm. a show that, by all other accounts, is trying to be, like, like, we've already created a fantasy that race doesn't matter, so why does sexuality yes. and heteronormativity matter? I, d- so I don't want Eloise to get married. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's what I was going to ask. I don't want Eloise to get married, ever. Spoil yeah. the books for me if you want. I don't want, I don't, and I don't know if, it, I mean, I assume she does in the books because, again, yes. romance. Like, like, all the Bridgerton kids get married in the books, but especially how she gets married yeah. is, I think, probably upsetting the people who came to the show first, in my right. opinion. And I don't know, I don't know who she is in the books because she's barely in the first book like i said i've only read the first book and she's barely in it she's a child who's unimportant right so i don't know what happens in the other books but for the character that i am enjoying in the tv show not only do i not want her to be you know nominally heterosexual i more don't want her to get married like i was actually okay with her suddenly dis- dis- discovering in this year oh maybe i actually am kind of interested in a boy i'm okay with that i'm okay with her being bi i don't want her to get married i like when she's like quizzing kate about so how do i go about being a spinster anyway i'm like yeah. yes i want to know that story that's fascinating that's more interesting to me than can she find someone to kiss and I, it just is so uh, i want options like that and Although i i i will add that i've discovered that many fans of the show mm-hmm. are shipping Eloise and her footman, who's apparently named Footman John, and someone actually wrote fanfic on it for AO3. And while I am not, I do not disagree at all with what you're saying, Mav, absolutely. I do think that's kind of charming that, like, apparently there was enough significant looks between the footman and Eloise that this is a ship that exists in the world, and there's apparently a petition to give him a storyline. <laughs> that I'm not no. the only person who thought to myself, like, why is that footman unreasonably hot? <laughs> because I was like a there we're like we're not living in a CW universe where everyone is just like insanely fuckable and for the most mm-hmm. part like the rest of staff like there's this weird normal disparity people. like they're normal people like where it's mm-hmm. like oh they don't get to have romance stories because they're not as attractive or something weird like seems to be going on and then yeah she keeps having all of these weird like we cool looks with the footman who is like the world's hottest footman <laughs> and I was like you can't tell me that putting the world's hottest footman in is just a mistake right like he is yeah. there for a reason we don't know what the reason is yet but like 
Pittman John has a, a much larger role to play. <laughs> that is my prediction for the future. <laughs> I mean, I would actually, I would, I would, I would rather he not. I would rather it's just like, yeah, she's got a really fuckable footman. That's fine. Like sometimes people are just hot. It, it's okay. <laughs> like I, that's, but that's again my thing, right? Like the show doesn't have to be beholden to the books. And I'm giving the same argument that I would give to any comic book weenie who would complain, you know, why isn't Mephisto in WandaVision? Because he's not. Mm-hmm. Move on. Right. Like I'm like I like I'm yep. I want to be able to enjoy a interesting story that is in the world of because, you know, they're also not black in the con- in, in the mm-hmm. novels, right? Like, so fine. There's so much that's not in the books that I feel like in some ways, if you read, if you read the books after you watch the show, you're kind of disappointed, to be honest. Like, and I, I, I didn't read them first. I'm sorry, Nicole and Bookman. Well, no, but you, read, well, you only read, I mean, you read all of them except for one, like after, before the thing came out, right? Because you well, saw the show. I, and I then, saw the show and then I read them. Right. Um, the first season. And I, yeah. And I, I also will say the only book I, which I still have issues with the only book that I really want to like semi follow the arc and by and it's like two things one I want Gareth St. Clair to show up who's like Hyacinth's love interest they don't even have to be together I just want him to show up because it like Lay Danbury's in that book and it amuses yeah. and their relationship amuses me greatly and and two uh Julia Quinn invents like a like gothic romance sensationalist novel yeah. that like Hyacinth reads aloud to Lady Danbury and I would like I don't even it doesn't even have to be that thing but I feel like the writers of the show could really come up with like some great yeah. passages yeah of that kind of sensationalist like fiction and I would enjoy seeing that on screen yes so yeah I'm not like a book I read them out of like idle curiosity and also I discovered I could read them if I concentrated in two to three hours wow. they make me feel insanely yeah, smart very <laughs> yeah so like yeah I do want to say that if you've listened to the, like every episode of the show which if you have thank you Christ, if I start with you we appreciate you got in one thing I you know I hate love triangles and it stresses me out so like you might be surprised that like I kind of like them this, this season like I didn't really okay. like the love triangle but like I read one I'll link in the show notes this article by two Desi women from offcolor.org uh, like talks about how like the season two really mirrors a lot of Bollywood romance and I won't like you know tell you their full argument because I think it's like worth a full read but like they talk about the specificity of the love triangle and it's not really about being torn between two people you're like super into like they compare it to like twilight and like archie uh so things that people on this show care about okay um, absolutely I'm, see now i'm into this article absolutely okay. um, yeah. but they talk about like it's more about like a person like sacrificing everything else for like someone else's happiness and that really emphasized the relationship between kate and edwina and what i really loved about this season which i think speaks to like what monica was saying about the family one thing I really loved was how deeply Bridgerton like invested in women and like, matrilineal relationships this season whether it was the Sharma family mm-hmm. the Featheringtons which I originally I was like I don't know if we need like this much of the Featheringtons even though I enjoy them and I enjoy Polly Walker and I think she's wonderful but like mm-hmm. by the end at the very end when she screwed over that <laughs> asshole I was like, yes, 100% on board with this. There's a great book by Sharon Marcus called Between Women that talks about the importance of all different types of relationships between women in the 19th century. 
And I think Bridgerton really captured this with the exception that Monica was talking about, which is we don't have any queer relationships, even if we, you know, have some really strong friendships and some really important like sisterhood bonds, like mother child bonds. It was that was weird. It was implied that like everyone in art school ever is bisexual last season, which is largely true. I mean, I've been to art school, Uh, but, but, uh, (laughs) but that was implied last season and kind of forgotten about this season. But this season was less sexy. And that's kind of what I was getting at. Like my disappointment in this wasn't so much a not enough butts issue, right? Like it was that this... I felt as though we went to a narratively PG story from an R story, not visual R to a, a, a visual PG. That wouldn't have bothered me. I just felt like tonally I was less invested in the sexual issues here, which was, I mean, you've listened to this show before. If you've listened to my other show as well, it's part of what I do, right? Like that's a large part of my research. So, so there just wasn't as much for me personally to dig into. And that might be a lot of my disappointment. Like I like when I'm talking about like my wanting Eloise to end up alone, I don't want her to be asexual. I want her to be the one. Well, she she wouldn't be the one because there, there are four women, but none of them have main character, main characters. I want her to be the one female main character on Bridgerton who is just like, I can do whatever I want sexually, non-sexually. I'm just my own woman, which is kind of what her character is. Right. And I'm going to be a 20th century feminist. Deal with it. Like, that would be great. But I just don't want to go down a path where she can't be that. And that's my frustration with it. And I see stuff like that happening and going, eh. Like, I like that you like a boy. I like that you're not a child anymore, but I don't want you to like be boy crazy. And I feel like that's where it's going. <laughs> and that bugged me a little bit. I don't, that- think, I don't think it would. Well, maybe I'm basing my opinion too much on the books that I want to discard kind of anyway. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it will. I think I have, I'm pinning my hopes on like one piece of dialogue, um, which is, you know, Pin and Eloise have that heartbreaking fight at the end. Mm-hmm. And Penelope screams at her, you're all talk and no action, which like I felt, like I was Eloise in that moment because I was 17 years old in a conservative society and I didn't know how to get involved with things so all I did was like yell at people as people who listen to the show know and so I would really like for next season to be where Eloise figures out how to take some action that's not just you know as amusing as it is stomping away from an asshole on the ballroom floor Mm -hmm. like I feel like hopefully like if they're going to have that explosive fight there will be a purpose behind it other than you know tearing apart a relationship that we've enjoyed for two years fair enough i mean but also i can be hopeful and you are the voice of reason saying hannah don't want <laughs> you know don't want more no i i mean because i want more right i mean and i i actually thought about it so i bought the first book before we recorded last season and i read and i read it and then i bought the second book and then i decided not to read it for the listeners I'm not reading ahead for the show because I don't normally get to be this guy, right? Like we do a lot of shows about stuff like, you know, Marvel shit, right? And if I'm doing anything Marvel, like right now, uh, just as time of recording, Moon Knight dropped this week. And I really enjoyed that. And I'm like watching Moon Knight. I'm going, oh, I wonder where they're going. I know where they're going with this. I've been reading Moon Knight for 30 years. (laughs) Like like I I know what's going to happen, right? Like it's not really going to surprise me, but I'm interested, right? I like the experience of being one. 100% 100% surprised by Bridgerton. Not 100% because I understand tropes, but I'm complaining because it's rare that I get to see film or television where I get to have this experience. 
like where I get to fan theorize with the rest of everybody. And I like being able to really fan theorize here. So I don't feel the need to be beholden to the book. And I like that, but it is still kind of a, I worry, like I, I don't want them to succumb to the pressure of people are always going to want to, you know, well, this happens in the book. Like that's going to be true of, of Marvel. It's going to be true of Game of Thrones. It's going to be tr- true of Bridgerton. And I don't care about the book right now. I don't want to spoil the TV show. <laughs> Silly as that sounds, right? Like it's the book feels like spoilers to me. Not spoilers like uh, I don't want to know what happens. Like spoilers where I want them to be able to go in different directions. Like um, uh, a completely different show, completely different tone. The Boys. And if anybody's watching that besides me, right? But The Boys yeah. on Amazon, I've been watching. I've really enjoyed it. Sorry for our comic book fans. I hated The Boys comic book. It's so bad. I find it awful. I'm in Enjoying the TV series, there have been major deviations and that changes everything. And those deviations make it more interesting for me. So I'm okay with there being deviations and I kind of hope they keep doing it. And if the deviations end up that, you know, Louise can't have her quote unquote happily ever after because it can't be a heteronormative and mononormative relationship, then so be it. That's the one I'm really hung up on. One of that was really successful in deviating from source material was Walking Dead. That's one where like you really are tuning in every week being like are they even going to live? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not fun if you know who lives and dies because you read the comic. And I would argue on a show like Bridgerton, where the entire plot is just based on they end up together. Like, mm-hmm. that's another one where like you you potentially lose all of the investment when people feel like they already know what happens. So we've resolved nothing. Is that what we're saying? I mean, we're not going to resolve this question because I, I honestly don't know if like, you know, the writers know where they're going because this was actually the show, like the original showrunners, like last season. It, there's oh, a new really? showrunner for three and four. Yeah. Jess Brownell, if I remember that correctly. So so it, a new creative, like a, at least a semi new creative team will mm-hmm. be behind Bridgerton seasons three and four. Like. <laughs> I, I believe that she's Britain for Bridgerton. So like not, you know, not like coming in just totally fresh. She's been on part of Shondaland for a long time, but yeah, totally different. Also, some news dropped before we start recording that two two pieces of Bridgerton news. One, Kate and Anthony will be back for seasons three and four. So those moments of like cuteness of them being happy should happen. And two, this is this has been like a thing for a while, but like they finally started casting for the Queen Charlotte prequel that's going to feature more like young Queen Charlotte and Lady Danbury. Mm-hmm. So the Bridgerton world's expanding. And, you know, Queen Charlotte's mm-hmm. not a part of the books at all. Right. She's so, brand new stories. So like, the, I mean, we know sort of what happens to her and Lady Danbury because we see them in the present day. Oh. It's, it's 1814's present day, but like... I thought you were going to say because history, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> that also... Can I just say like, okay, the Regency period, like the Prince Regent, yep. super unpopular. Not my like field. Like, I mean, is my field, but like aristocracy, not my people that I pay attention to. But super unpopular guy. Why is Lady Whistledown not talking about him? That's my like question of like, why are they not talking about the scandals of the Prince Regent? Because even, you know, like, vaguely, you know, they've gone so Damn. far as to even be like with Edwina. Oh, have you met my uh, my nephew? He's a prince as if like this is a prize for which she receives her happy ending for putting up with a bunch of bullshit for a season when we all know <laughs> that it's not like the amount that we are expected to ignore history is kind of 
problematic to me. The like mm-hmm. the amount that like we're not going to talk about India, despite being like, oh, you guys okay. came from India, is <laughs> problematic for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah. This is we talked about this last time too, because like. The, the racism gets one shout out basically in the first season where Lady Danbury's like love fixed it all and Simon's like uh no mm-hmm. and then uh Will and Le- Lord Featherington talk about the fact that Will's father was in the colonies and like fought for his freedom and so I think that moment really crystallizes more the more and more you watch it in fact like why Will is willing to like make that deal and bet with Lord Featherington to like secure like his future. Are the Shermas um, from India in the I, I, I was, yeah, that's what I was gonna ask because I, I assume they weren't. They're, they're, I assume their the last Sheffield. name is also not Sharp. Okay. Yes, I was gonna say I yeah. assume their last name is also not Sharp. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So like they're changing it like like and there's that one moment at the dinner featuring Anthony Head in his little cameo, um, which I feel like he's only been playing jerks for the past like five years. Uh, but I've only seen him in Ted Lap. Anyway, not the point. But like they, you know, they imply some sort of like, you know, they're racist connotations to that conversation, their nationalist connotations to that conversation where they're like, you polluted our bloodline, I think might be the line when they're talking to Lady Mary mm-hmm. in that very horrible dinner. So like they're, it's once again sort of like season one, like hinting at something, but there's no mention of the East India Company. There's... Mm-hmm. The, it, it, India by the end of the season has become like a place like where Kate's like running away not like she actually want like I mean it's complicated she does like talk about her like complex feelings of like you know being in England and adapting to English culture which by the way very real thing of Indian women coming to England and marrying English dudes well and that's kind of one of the we talked about this last season one of the mm-hmm. weirdnesses of the show is they are in intentionally and very vocally saying we are not being colorblind and yet when i watch it as a scholar i'm like you kind of are in a way and by colorblind i guess we should make clear this show does this thing that i think people ask for a lot and i've seen this i've seen this noted by television and film critics who aren't us just in general where people go well just because it's the period piece it doesn't have to be all white like i we want to see more diversity the academy recently said that you know in order to be considered for best picture you're supposed to have a certain amount of you know diversity in your cast which is a problem if you're doing a story that needs mm-hmm. to be white in order to be realistic and i sort of so i'm okay with moving on and doing that but if you're going to do that i don't i think it was a little better this season with kate than it was with um simon but i i don't think they are interestingly diverse that much right like you're like oh look that's interesting there's black people here okay moving on like that's about how much it was given last season and i feel like it's given slightly more this pe- this season with indian people but slightly like i didn't feel like it mattered that much and part of the reason i guess is because they're trying to like do the book in some ways right like we're so i don't know i'm torn on that and i don't know how i don't know how it's gonna be better with the new showrunners i don't know if hannah knows anything from inside no don't oh i wish i knew the inside <laughs> of workings of bridgerton i there, there was an interview today by the actress who played lady danbury who talked about this question 
And, you know, she pointed out the positives of, you know, having, and, and, and to be clear, like they, the show, the original showrunner has said, like, this is not a colorblind cast in the sense right. of like something like, like, like race exists in our world. Like David Copperfield with Deb Patel. And in this one, he's hot and happy most of the time. That is a colorblind cast, but <laughs> it's, he's hot. <laughs> and he's, he's hot. Deb Patel and nobody notices. Oh, people notice Deb Patel's hot. No, um, I meant that he's <laughs> not right. Nobody notices. His yeah, yeah. Like, like no, yeah. so like 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 colorblind in the sense of like they they right. just cast whomever and like race isn't really addressed right. and like 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 and like you know families can be made up of like white and black and Indian people mm -hmm. and like it, it it like it's fine like they they just don't really write it in mm -hmm. what I remember of watching the show like they the uh, director said like this is totally colorblind whereas mm -hmm. like Bridgerton they're like well race does exist and we address it and how it has been addressed and like how people are talking about it being addressed has been like a controversy in the fandom community in fact because people have said like well you know not everything has to be traumatic but also like the British Empire was really bad bad everybody like, it was really i don't know how else to say it like the british empire no. was really bad and i've talked about this with like good society and stuff for years before bridgerton was even in production i think like the first season so like where is the line like what are we celebrating and i you know i'm on a show about bridgerton for the third time because i really enjoyed it i took all the day of work so i'm not trying to criticize anyone for enjoying the show but what is the line like you know there there's so many things about the aristocracy in 19th century england that are mm -hmm. tied to extraction from the colonies. So, like, how do you separate those two things? Can you separate those two things? And then to finish my thought, the actress who plays Lana Danbury point out, like, well, you know, a positive of Bridgerton has really been exposing people to the fact that, hey, by the way, 19th century England wasn't just white. And that's totally true. Like, like honestly, I can't think of, like, a production ever on the scale of Bridgerton that's ever cast so many people of color in, mm -hmm. like, a 19th century period piece and, like, let them be more than just, like, a tragic figure of some sort. So it's it, there's just so many sides to the coin. But yeah, the, if you enjoy Bridgerton, just know... <laughs> Night, the British Empire was really bad, and that is still a point. And it's important to know this because it's still a point of contention. I mean, like last week, in fact, you know, yeah. there was talk about you know uh, Kate and William going to Jamaica, and Jamaica's still asking for reparations. <laughs> Like, you know, and, uh, and, like, they only, like the and they only went there to beg them not to leave. So. Yeah. So <laughs> like, like, like the effects of like the British Empire are still very real to people to this day, like countries to this day. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I love you stole the Wayne ending. So there's that. <laughs> um, I mean. On you know, on the other hand, it's a gorgeous show with a lot of like interesting like thoughts to have. Will Hot Duke come back? A question. Uh, okay. Maybe it depends on how much the Dungeons and Dragons that movie makes that. And I mean, he, he. I think it's like one or two big projects. Like also, it's really funny anytime someone becomes a lead of Bridgerton. The next like day, it's like Bond producers looking very closely at the male yeah. lead of Bridgerton this season. Oh, are they really? Are they looking at? I mean, you know, it was but like are they some like. At Bailey? Or, no, I'm just saying. Yes. Are they looking at? Bailey? Okay, awesome. Yes, like <laughs> some like I mean, like Emily. I don't take this for anything, uh, listeners, because it was you know one of those like silly articles, but like. <laughs> You know, it's always a rumor that pops up. Oh, also, he left Paige, to be clear, to be in something called The Gray Man with Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, and Ana de Armas. So, not a bad oh, no. with In, in post-production currently. So, yes. that's, well, it's supposed to be out this year. Did someone pick it? 
I don't think so. <laughs> no. Anyway, not, not, not important. But okay, I got, also can I just say I love about Bridgerton that like the men are allowed to wear colors and like floral waistcoats yeah. and stuff really randomly. Color wasn't invented until the 1960s. I think it's... That's, no, that's there, was just, there was a reaction <laughs> sort of against, against color and looking like a dandy, you know, it, it, at a certain point during that time period, you know. Although I'm just waiting for somebody to do and to have like the really incredibly complicated cravat that, you know, they can't tie or something like that. So maybe that'll be some drama. <laughs> at some point. Well, I'm really interested to see what they do with Benedict. I mean, assuming he's next, because I like that actor. I liked him mm. in the season one. And I like him more in season two. I do think. Who should be book three? Benedict. Book three should yeah. be Benedict. Is that? Yes. But Shonda Rhimes did in say order. that they so, might not necessarily go well, in order. So the sense of them going in order. Benedict just looks a lot older than the other actors. And I do feel like gotta like, like as much as we're usually okay with 30 year olds playing 18 year olds, Benedict is feeling like he's pushing 35. And I feel like when I put him next to Eloise, who I would still like to, you know, articulate her adulthood a little more, like that's not quite the story that we're asking for. I and especially when I compare them to like Hyacinth, who like is very clearly a 12 year old child that we don't need to age up and we should wait eight years to have a love story for. So that's just my opinion. I will say that there wasn't nearly enough Newton. And got more Newton oh, in the Newton. books. Oh, now, I would venture to guess that this is because yes. I know corgis and corgis don't like, don't take well to training to do things on cue. So <laughs> my guess is they were like, can we work with this dog? Yeah, All right, put him there anyway. But apparently, yeah, apparently, yeah, he apparently he's a diva on set. Because he's a corgi. But I don't know, the book, like I said, he was a little bit more in the book, but the book was, you know, a little more humor and sort of so fun to some of the things going on. So for the listeners, just because I did just check, Luke Thompson, the actor who plays Benedict, is 33. Florence Hunt, the actress who plays Hyacinth, is legit 15. So <laughs> it does, if you return to our, we had our 20-something teen episode a while back where we talked about this very issue, and it does create kind of a, uh, kind of a weird disconnect. To, to be <laughs> fair, I could have a career as a yeah. carny, guessing people's ages. Yeah, to, to be fair, Hyacinth and Gregory are supposed to be yeah. so much younger than all their other siblings like part of yeah. the story the later books is that hyacinth and gregory aren't close to anyone but themselves because they were so far and apart from everybody else benedict was supposed to be weird let's see if anthony's 29 then benedict is 28 so okay so five years that's not, that's not so bad i mean he, he could be 28 it's a Dear oh, Evan, like evan hansen issue because by the time the dear evan hansen film came out ben platt was way too old to believably play a 16 or 17 year old. I guess, I guess the character is supposed to be 17, but Platt looks like he's 40 (laughs) and he he just visibly. Now he's not, the actor is only 28 now. So he would have been like 26 when he filmed it. And, but he just does not believably look like a teenager at all. And unfortunately, Caitlin Deaver, who plays his love interest in the movie and is legit only three years younger than she's 25, but she did legitimately look like a 16 year old. And he looked like he, like every time in the film, why is that 30 year old man kissing? 
that child. Stop. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. And they're like in in real life, they're 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 age appropriate for each other, but she just pulled off a teenager so much better than he did. And it's just and people complain, why is that old man in that move in that movie? Why it's just like stop it. It it is uncomfortable and made worse by the fact that if you've not seen Dear Evan Hansen, yeah. it's an uncomfortable subject matter. We're way <laughs> off of Bridgerton. Well, let me just say one fun fact about corgis which is I'll, I'll link to the short thread in the notes dr stephanie howard smith who is a dog historian was like i want to know are corgis like mentioned in like the 18th and 19th centuries and maybe corgis are actually historically inaccurate and she does a lot of cool research that i'll link to but you know it, she talks about like how people write about animals and our relationship to animals which by the way like having read a lot of like 19th century novels for some reason like people were super into their dogs in the 19th century like darwin really loves his dogs and treats them with the same respect and love for their emotions as he does the human so like anytime newton was on screen i was like ah yes darwin and his dogs which like emily darwin's not regency but it's valid because you know darwin is here now in our present moment so whatever any excuse to talk about darwin apparently for me but you know that like also just i uh, apropos of like nothing um if you're interested in women who were writing um, in the 19th century who were Indian, check out Toru Dutt's poetry. Really good. She's later in the century than like Regency, but she moved between England and India and really wrote a wide range of things. And like, her poetry is really good. She wrote novels. She really captured like an interesting perspective of what it was to be a cosmopolitan in the world. So, you know, if you're interested in learning more about like real life historical figures, recommend. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's now have we reached now we, gotta, we, we resolved got, nothing? We went through a lot. Uh, we resolved nothing a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> we just like each other so much we kept talking. Yeah. And speaking of, if people like you, Nicole, where could they find uh, well, out more I'm about on, you? I'm on you can follow me on Twitter. I'm not that funny, but you know, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm also involved with the National Popular Culture Association, which will be having its annual conference soon. But we're uh, never too uh, never too early to start thinking about a paper for to submit for next year. That's uh, pcaaca.org. Mm -hmm. We've got lots of lovely topic mm -hmm. areas for people to get interested in. Yes, we'll be talking about PCA a lot <laughs> yep. for the next yeah. couple of weeks on our show. So. <laughs> Yep. So, Monica Marvelous, what about you? People can find me on Instagram or on Twitter at Monica Marvelous. That's L O U S on Instagram or L O U X on Twitter. And Palindrome Hannah. You can find me here or at PCA on <laughs> April 12th, 13th. I guess I should know my panel day. Yes, please. <laughs> 13, I don't know what mine is either. I'll figure it out. I mean, I'm going to be there every day. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where you can find out what we're talking about next week, PCA. Or the week after that, also PCA. <laughs> but it should be really interesting. We're going to talk about our panels. We're going to talk about the kinds of things we're going to do there. Hopefully some special guests. It should be, we should have some really interesting and quite varied pop culture talks in the next couple of weeks on this show with a lot of comic book stuff. People always ask us why we don't do more. Well, you're, we're going to have some coming up. Anyway.
If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, really helps us out. And I don't know. I don't have hot Duke action in my life. I need this. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to thank Maximum. Million of thought form music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank Nicole for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Love it.